Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Edric Show. I am your host, Edric Jerome. This is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell, and you will be notified when I post content each and every week. Uh, looking forward to this one. Uh, we've been topping it up a little bit pre-show, even before that. Uh, I want to introduce my guest, Mr. Hooper, hip-hop artist. He's an award-winning independent rap artist, poet, writer, filmmaker, and music producer based in Sacramento, California. He's built and maintained a strong underground presence that garnered him fans around the world and respect as a top quality lyric purveyor in the genre of hip hop and rap. Mr. Hooper was awarded a Sammy, which uh, included his being inducted into the Sacramento Area Music Hall of Fame. He blends consciousness, introspective, and life stories his multi-lyrical style is relatable to a broad and diverse audience, and I am pleased to welcome Mr. Hooper to The Edric Show. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing really good. Thank you for having me. Uh, this is pretty exciting. Um, after we met, uh, just knowing that you're from Parchester Village, and I know that's going to come up in the conversation. Yes, sir. But, uh, right away, man, it was something that drew me in and i'm happy you having me on and just looking forward to whatever we discuss man parchester touches the world man parchester touches the world <laughs> we'll get time. into that we will get into that well let's start out uh well let's start at the beginning um where did you grow up and uh when did you get started in music specifically in hip-hop well i'm from san francisco originally i was born um in san francisco grew up in bayview um my brother p swain was a dj he was like the neighborhood dj he dj'd all the parties and so i was getting into hip-hop although i didn't know it because i was so young um by him djing making the mixtapes uh preparing for parties i'm hearing everything but it was precisely when i heard the fat boys and um specifically buff the human beatbox mm. that i wanted to be involved in hip-hop uh, I started out as a beatbox. That's all I wanted to do was beatbox. Uh, and um, I practiced, 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 not only buff style, but Dougie Fresh style with the mm -hmm. all of that, did all of that stuff um, and mastered it and just tried to be a part of a crew that way. Uh, but then a little bit later, about 1986, I heard Check Out My Melody by Rakim. And once I heard that poetic flow, that jazzy flow of Rakim and the way he put words together. Uh, I was I was on the pen from that day forward. I've uh, been rapping ever since. That's how it got started. Uh, and you and I, a quick aside, you and I talked about uh, the, the lanes of hip hop. And I was telling you where my lanes kind of stopped is when when that right about that time. And then later on, when jazz and hip hop kind of merged uh, with the roots and tribe and uh, all these folks who were doing this kind of work, uh, that's kind of where I stayed and, and it just spoke to me. So right. what was it about beatboxing that drew you in? Uh, just Was it just the, the physicality of it or was it just something like it was just inspiring to you? Well, it was inspiring to me, for one, that these three guys who are obviously friends, you could tell, you know, their kinship through their music, um, were creating from scratch and only from themselves, hmm. right? From the lyrics to the beat, everything, man. And it was about as much of a um, much chemistry as you could possibly have. And I just like that connection between the three of them, Kurowski, Prince Marky D and Buff. 
Um, and I wanted that. I wanted to be a part of a crew. I wanted to drop the beat for people and be able to hold that beat for them um, the way that Buff did. And so that drew me in. And then, of course, when I heard Lottie Dottie by Dougie Fresh, that was like a whole nother level to it because you had, you know, this great storytelling going on over this beat. It was so well orchestrated. I just felt like, okay, I don't know anyone around me who has a beatbox, but I know rappers. I know people who are trying to rap. I want to be that beatbox. I want to hold it down for them and, and be able to drop the beat in, drop the beat out, switch it up, all of that. It just pulled me in. It just pulled me in. I just wanted to be a part of that chemistry. Uh, we're gonna go all over the place, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in and, and talk <laughs> about about Dougie Fresh and 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 you can't forget Slick Rick because there it was like mm-hmm. you know I didn't, I didn't want to say Batman and Robin it was just it right. was Scotty and Scotty and, and Jordan right I mean it was yep. the way they flowed uh, that song changed things it was really stripped down it wasn't a lot of heavy heavy produced no. uh, and it just hit man and uh, along with you know um, the show and all the I mean because. If I recall, didn't I think Teddy Riley had something to do with with the show? I believe. Yeah, he was uh, a producer yeah. on the show. Yeah, one of his first things. So it was just a phenomenal time to uh, to hear that kind of music, and it still resonates to this day. And so, taking Absolutely. those those beatbox skills that you had, um, what was the next iteration in terms of you going from from beatboxing to being a lyricist, which is you know you're well adept at that now. Well. Um... I think first, you know, just listening to the MCs, of course, I dabbled in it a little bit. Um, listening to I, my second record that I ever owned. The first record I ever owned was Frankie Smith, Double Dutch Bus. The mm. second record that I, I ever got it owned, right over here, man. <laughs> <laughs> me too, right over here. <laughs> but the uh, second record that I ever owned was um, Christmas Rapping by Curtis Blow. Um, so listening to Curtis Blow, listening to uh, LL when LL dropped. You know, of course, I tried to write some raps, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I didn't really write them. I just recorded myself saying raps, making up these rhymes, pausing, thinking of the next line, unpausing, saying the next line, so on and so forth. But it was nothing serious until, like I said, I heard Rakim. And once I heard Rakim, I said, you know, this there's a real art to writing that I never thought about. You know, even with Slick Rick and the storytelling and whatnot, you had stories being told with other MCs. Um, although a lot more uh, simple and less complex than what Slick Rick ended up doing. Um, <clears throat> it was something about Rakim and, and the way he delivered those lines, and the way he wrote a beat that pulled me into writing. Uh, I felt like I had a lot to say and the way that he was saying it and the, and the manner in which he delivered it was something that I felt like I wanted to be a part of. So I really, really keyed in on writing. I was still beatboxing, but not as much. Um, I wanted to just be down as an MC from that point on. Um, and uh, it wasn't until later years when people realized that I could beatbox that I started bringing that back to the stage. So now I kind of intertwine both of them. Um, are you familiar with Razel by any chance? Oh, yeah. Razelle. Okay, man. Because yeah. you want to talk beat? I mean, he took that that mantle from Dougie Fresh. And, you know, for those who don't know, Rozelle tour for years with the Roots was part of the legendary Roots crew for a long time and literally could do an entire song by just beatboxing. I mean, he was yeah. he did Transformer sounds. I mean, he was. And so 
that that genre of beatboxing is so critical to to the development of hip hop. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Uh, I think like you, maybe a lot of people got into it by just making the sounds and just right. you know uh, having that percussive ability right. to to, right. to 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 rap, man. So one of the things about Rozelle that I'll give him credit for, because I I mean even Biz Markie, I take you know rest in peace Biz, but I take a lot of uh, inspiration from you know different guys and i'll say what rozell really introduced to me was the art of scratching with my mouth right so i think as soon as he started doing that then i started implementing it on stage right when there'd be some downtime instead of just shouting out the crowd or whatever i might reach into my crates in my head of mm-hmm. different songs that apply to what i'm performing and maybe scratch a line from these different songs using my mouth and that's hats off to Rozelle, you know, introducing that to the game. Um, the Bay Area at that time, a lot, a lot of cats were, were writing lyrics and, and rappers and crews and this and that. Uh, but you were able to take all of that energy and actually start putting out records. So right. what was that transition like going from, you know, you you rapping with your buddies or whatever, or you at school mm-hmm. or, you, you know, just uh, um, as a hobby, so to speak. But then it actually turned into something where you were actually now putting out music. So how did that transition happen? Well, it started <clears throat> first. I was selling mixtapes for my brother. That was that was my first job. Right. He get on his tables, his turntables, put together a dope mix. Nobody had the music that he had. Right. He was he was on top of his game. And so when he did mixtapes, he would you know record a bunch of them for me. I throw them in my backpack. I sell them at school. I sell them at the mall, sell them to all my little friends or whatnot. Um, so that was the first job. Then once the MC in me started coming out and I started writing, um, I went back to my brother who introduced me to the game and was like, Hey, we should form a group. Should be me and you at that time. He was in another crew, right? Where he was the DJ and it was two MCs. Um, and I can't recall exactly what made him realize that he and I actually should work together, but we started. Um, we started by just making demo tapes at the house, same way he was doing his mixes. We got on the four track. We started laying down these different songs that we would come up with. Um, I did a lot of, uh, early production, just learning how to use the sampler and the beat machine and whatnot. He did a lot of the production. He did all the scratching, of course, and we were just putting together demos. Uh, same thing, took those tapes, went out into the streets, out to the schools, out to the malls, trying to sell those tapes. Um, and the tapes ended up in the hands of a few people out there who were trying to work their way into uh, releasing records. Uh, one of which being Master P. Uh, Master P made the journey from Richmond when he was in Richmond at the time, from Richmond up to Sacramento um, after meeting. Well, actually, <clears throat> his group, The Real Untouchables, uh, included my brother Marcus Hooper and Marcus introduced him to um to our demos Master P said hey I'd like to meet them drove up talked to us about writing for the real untouchables right wanted us to be writers for that group um long story short I turned it down because <laughs> it wasn't the kind of thing that I was looking for at the time the type of deal that he offered wasn't you know uh something that I was interested. I actually read, you know, everything, all the contract information and just wasn't willing to lock myself into that two year agreement. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, black market records, Mm -hmm. Cedric Singleton uh, release. um, um, 
he released uh, Brother Lynch Hung. If you've heard of Brother Lynch Hung, another artist from the Sacramento area. Uh, we were one of the first groups that he actually approached when he was starting that label, right? And again, uh, wanted to sign us. A couple other labels wanted to sign us. But nothing was really, just reading through this contract, nothing was really speaking to me as something that I should lock myself into. Mind you, I was like 14 years old. <laughs> You're reading my mind because I have a question formulating about that, but I'll get to that in just a second. I'm like 14 years old and I'm reading contracts and I'm I'm listening to every word that comes out of their mouth like, is this really a deal? Like, wow, is this kind of stuff people are signing? And not saying anything against those brothers, they were trying to build something, right? But at the same time, it wasn't something that I had considered. And so what they were introducing was something new to me that I had to really, really think about. And so me and my brother, you know, we would talk through it. And at a certain point, I was like, man, you know, if we're going to be broke, why not just put out our own stuff? Then you got nobody to blame. We, we just do it. So we we recorded at a local studio, um, real professional quality album called um, Real Brothers. That was the name of our group soul controllers and that album took off man it got so much love uh but that was the first one we dropped a cassette when we dropped a cassette it was november 91 so i was 16 all right that's where it started my first album dropped 32 years ago hmm. yep and hmm. i haven't stopped since that was the only album that we dropped as a group and then uh, shortly after that i was solo i think i started releasing my own solo music in 95 if you had the foresight at 14, 15 years old to actually be able to discern what's a good deal and what's not a good deal, obviously you had some folks, uh, some people around you, whether it was family or someone who was savvy. So how did you how did you get that type of perspective at that age when most young people are like, give me the pen. Where do I sign? Can I sign right now? But you had but there was something in you. Was that just from family? Was that? your influences where did you get that foresight man i think it's just from family you know my mom and my dad you know uh, i i would give them the credit for it and it's not just regarding music it's for life right um and, and happiness you know um i when you talk foresight i can i can have very clear a very clear vision of me being unhappy in a situation right and if i if i see that uh before i enter it i'm not entering like there's I feel like and I still feel like to this day, there's no use in me entering a situation where I know I'm going to end up mad at somebody. Right. And I <laughs> I try to avoid it at all costs. So if I if I feel like that's what I'm doing just to do it and I probably end up frustrated and upset with somebody and not getting paid and, you know, in a fight. There's other routes. I don't have to settle just to take that half step forward. There's full steps that I could take. It might take longer, but I don't mind. Now, uh, during those years, the Bay Area was, uh, you know, I mean, we're in the 50th year of hip hop. You know, New York's getting a lot of attention. Some people feel New York's getting too much attention because leaving out the South it's leaving out, you know, down in L.A. and what was going yeah. on down there. But uh, I don't know if the Bay Area is getting it's just due. So yeah. um, I do know that the um, African-American Museum and Library of Oakland, they recently unveiled their um hip hop bay area hip hop archive in celebration nice. of 50th uh, anniversary so from your perspective man looking at 50 years and focusing on the bay area who were some of those uh you know two or three uh either artists groups whatever that you feel 
really put the Bay on the map because, again, I don't think the Bay Area gets enough love in terms of the hip hop world. And it seems to be very East Coast focused. And maybe there's a reason for that. Well, I think the um, in terms of the celebration, if I could start there, um, I think every region needs to have their own celebrations. Mm. New York has given itself its attention. So so you can't hate on New York for doing that. You know, if the Bay Area um, has 50 year of hip hop um, events and celebrations, um, they will get love. No doubt. No doubt. And in terms of, you know, those who put their imprint on hip hop, I'll start with the person who used to actually uh, work with a producer right across the street from my house when I was a, a kid in Bayview. Um, the producer's name was Silky C, Chris Wayne, uh, also from Bayview. And he had this artist that was always over there and everybody would always say, oh, he's over there. He's over there. But at the time, me being, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old, I didn't care. I didn't know who he was. He wasn't run DMC. It wasn't, mm. you know, all of these people who I saw on records, but it was too short, mm. you know, too short. He really, really was on his grind from day one. Like from the time that I knew about hip hop, I knew about the name too short right now. He wasn't famous uh, at the time. I think he had just got with 75 girls and started releasing music through that record label. Um, Everything wasn't super polished. Everything wasn't, you know, um, the greatest um, cover or whatever, but it was him. It was his imprint. He made his imprint on hip hop. I remember his song Wild Wild West is what really made me start paying attention to him because it actually made me realize I was in the West. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I didn't look at it East Coast, West Coast as a kid. I just was like, oh, this is hip hop, right? This is good music right here. And then when he said Wild Wild West and he, you know, came with that line, once upon a time, they lived the man in the place that's known as East Oakland. He really set the scene for there is a West Coast brand of hip hop and we have a style as well. Right. Yeah. Love to New York, but we have something as well. And so he kind of instilled that pride. So whenever we talk West Coast Bay Area hip hop, you'll always hear me talk about Too Short. Um, my whole hustle game of selling my own music, I learned from Too Short. Everybody did. East Coast, West Coast, everybody learned that hustle from Too Short, not being just relying on a label, uh, but out the trunk, right? Um, I was out the backpack. But <laughs> <laughs> until I got a whip, I was out the backpack. But still, you know, the game was learned from Too Short. Um, there's a lot, but you said three. I'm all, I'm always going to mention E40, you know. E40 took that hustle to another another level um with the lingo, you know, the words, the way he deliver um starting with the click. Um another Bay Area artist. You know, I'm going to say JT the bigger figure. Hmm. Uh, Cuz a lot of people don't mention JT, but you know, I appreciate the hustle. I appreciate the grind and, and that man was all over things that people had no idea he was a part of uh like putting out the game mm. did anybody know that mm. nope but he did it right jt was was influential coming out of the fillmore district san francisco and um yeah so i, I i'll go with those three 
Um, and looking back over your music, your you know the music you produced back then, and even music that you continue to produce today, yeah. um, what are some of the changes that that you've you've gone through as an artist? And, and let me preface this by saying um, there's a lot of conversation today about you know hip hop was is this, and today it's that, and it's you know these young guys don't know. I'm not a hater. I think if you got game and you're and you're rapping and 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 your people are, are digging what you're putting out more power right. to you i'm not a you know the, the old man sitting back going back in my day hip-hop with you know yeah. that's i think that's counterproductive but yeah having said that uh when you look at music today versus when you started what are some of the changes that you observe personally but also some of the things you're actually hearing in the music today i'd say the biggest change is change is the accessibility right um you know back when hip-hop first started we were listening to it we were waiting around for uh, an album to come from our favorite artists and we knew the date we knew when it was going to drop and we didn't care that there was nothing dropped in between time right mm -hmm. we knew there was a process feel like we respected it we got the album in our hands we read the covers we looked at whoever worked on it from you know the production to the artwork to the photographs everything you know it was a lot of patience for the for the hip-hop then um now the biggest change like i said is we have full access to these artists pretty much 24 seven, right? For like, better or for talking, worse. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking like uh, freestyles uh, on, on social media or uh, songs that just get dropped to YouTube or on their websites or whatever albums dropping that you never knew were coming new music every month or every couple months. Um, it's just, it's a lot. And there's a whole lot of artists. That's the other thing. That's a big change. Before you knew all the artists. Right now, I ain't gonna lie. I hear so many names, and it's at that moment when I hear the name, that's the first time I've heard it. <laughs> right. And it's just like that. Everybody's a rapper now, right? So they call themselves. Now I'm not a hater, but a lot of stuff ain't rap. <laughs> right. A lot of stuff you make a good hook and you make some noises. But it ain't rap, right? So <laughs> noises. That's I, I would, yeah. I would, I would call it a. I would call it a jingle, right? Mm. It's catchy. People love it. It makes a move, like you said, more power to you. But if it came down to spitting, I'll pass. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a cadence and it's an ear. Uh, it's a way you hear it too because. Uh, I mean, you know, we all see the Instagram videos going around where the, the older guy is saying hip hop in my day. And then they yeah. he goes hip hop now and he's, he's got this warbling stuff going on. And I mean, it's funny, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, it, but it's a it's a real conversation. I think hip hop needs to have because any fine art and I do mm -hmm. consider hip hop to be a fine art. It, it goes through a transition. It goes through a a, a reworking of itself uh, right. for the next generation. And so right. uh, I'm I'm hoping that uh, as these younger hip-hop artists both male and female because we didn't even get into the female side but both male and yeah. female um just don't hate on who came before you <laughs> right honor that and know that you wouldn't be where you are without right. people like yourself who who you know on the underground who were, who were the entrepreneurs who showed you the blueprint of how to do it right um i just think there's sometimes there's that that generational conversation that yeah. i hope can be had if i can say it that way yeah. so you made a good point about the fine art of hip-hop and then I'm going to go back to my point about rap. It's Hip-hop and rap are two different things. Exactly. Right? So you can make hip-hop music and not say a word. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. You don't mm-hmm. have to rap. I'm specifically <laughs> in my answer. I'm just talking about rap. Right. right. Like you can make whatever it is that you want. I love like there's there's uh artists that take music and play it with a full orchestra. Yeah. And it's very much hip hop. It's very much boom bap, right? But it's so full, it's so beautiful. No words. Yep. I love it. Yep. Shout you out to Sly it. Fifth Avenue. That's a brother that's doing it, man. Sly yeah. Fifth Avenue. He's doing Sly orchestral hip hop. He did a retrospective of Dr. Dre's work uh, nice. about a year or so ago. Uh, so if you, for you youngsters out there, Sly Fifth Avenue is doing exactly what you're saying. I'm going to have to check that out because I, I love when people do that. <clears throat> and, you know, some of the new stuff, like I said, I won't call it necessarily rap. I just feel like there needs to be a different uh, branding for it. Right. It, it's definitely hip hop is still part of our culture. It's still something that we have to offer um, the world, not just hip hop fans, but the world, because everything is so commercialized now. Everyone's capitalizing on this this um, this fine art. Right. Um, so <clears throat> with that, like I said, I just wouldn't call everything rap. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rock yep. him. He rap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, I, I to me, Rakim is the one who, um, and I'm gonna say, like, kind of calmed it down because you know, hip hop was, you know, LL, and you were you had to be animated and you had to be mm-hmm. at the top of your voice, and now and Rakim, DJ runs exactly, my name, Jam Master J, right, you know, everything <laughs> and grunting and all that, right? Yeah. Um, but but Rakim smoothed it out. To mm-hmm. me, he just brought more of a musicality to the flow. Mm-hmm. that locked in and i think uh you know you know it changed the game i mean people um begin to emulate him <laughs> in mass mm-hmm. and his influence is still felt today so uh, yeah. what you're saying is is perfect uh about the differences between hip-hop and rap uh yeah. i think it's 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 moved on to a a different plateau now and and for everybody out there it is fine art i don't care what you mm-hmm. say it's 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 the probably the only art form that's been created I'd say within the last 25, 30 years or so, maybe even more than that, um, that's actually something new uh, in right. terms of popular music. And and But we can go down a rabbit hole there and talk all day. <laughs> um, let me get back to your career now. So you, you, you're you putting out uh, music, you're, you're doing your thing. Uh, but then at some point, uh, you went through a, a rebranding. You changed your name because you were right. you were crazy ball head. I was crazy ball head. And yeah. then you went to Mr. Hooper. So right. uh, tell me about that transition, because that's probably challenging for artists, especially if they've developed their brand yeah. to to change your brand. And so what was that process like? And and what, what made you want to do that? So like you said, I was crazy ball head for 20 years. Uh, that's a long time to be under a name and then all of a sudden change. So it was nerve wracking is a lot of thought. Uh, to, but to be honest, you know, I had went through some personal losses at the time, one including um, uh, my best friend and um, publicist and just all around supporter. And also my father, uh, Virgil Hooper, uh, passed away. They both passed away in the same year. So, I, mm-hmm. you know, I had a time where I wasn't really writing. I wasn't really putting out music and I just was not feeling it that much. Right. Um, but the only thing that brought me back was the rebranding. Mm was the um, decision to move forward with creating this new legacy uh, under my name, my father's name, my grandfather's name of Hooper. Right. Um, and doing that name proud and doing, doing something that uh, will always exist in that name. 
Uh, so about 2014, I, I made the change. Like I said, it was 20 years in. People thought I was crazy. Some people got it right away. Um, some people, they knew I was making an announcement. I did it on Super Bowl Sunday. They thought I was going to retire because <laughs> I had been going for so long. And they're like, oh, man, this guy's retiring. <laughs> and uh, Super Bowl Sunday at halftime, I released this video. I let it be known. Going forward, I'll be Mr. Hooper. And um, it was slow going at first. People stuck on Crazy B. They, can I? You, I'm like, you can call me whatever you want. <laughs> call me whatever you want as long as you're still calling me. But yeah, everything going forward, we'll say Mr. Hooper, and that's what I will represent. And um, I'll say, since becoming Mr. Hooper almost ten years ago, um, things are different. I didn't think they were, but things are different. Uh, my approach to music has changed. Um, I think the appreciation of my audience has changed. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, I have a greater purpose in, in what I'm doing now with this under this new name. Uh, I can't just throw anything out there because hmm. I'm trying to rep the name, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I want to get to uh, the, the entity and how we met, which is the Sacramento national film festival, which just took place uh, a couple of weeks ago. But before I get to that, um, we talked a little bit about Parchester Village, and I was sharing with you that uh, years ago we were writing the history of Parchester Village where I grew up, right. uh, where your grandfather, uh, Mr. Virgil Hooper, was uh, one of the folks that I used to actually study at his feet, meaning that uh, he would talk to us about the history of Parchester and how it came to be and just, you know, being African-American in this particular uh, place and time from the mm-hmm. 50s on and this and that. but. Um, Talk to me about your your grandfather, Mr. Virgil Hooper, who, uh, and I was going to share some audio recordings we did of him back in the day that that you can share. But um, talk to me about that man because he was he was an entrepreneur. Uh, he was a community leader. Uh, he was an organizer. Um, he, everything he did was for the betterment of our people, and and it was men like that, like him, and and you know Mrs. Hooper as well. Mm-hmm. who set the table for me to come and be a leader in Parchester as well. So talk to me about your, your grandfather, Mr. Virgil Hooper, because he was, he was one of a kind. Man. Yeah, most definitely. Um, <clears throat> definite entrepreneur, 45 years, Hooper shoe repair uh, and Hooper shoe emporium. Uh, spent a, a long time on uni- university Ave in Berkeley um, with his shoe repair shop. Um an outlet for black concerts and uh, selling the tickets and uh, collecting shoes for the, the March on Washington. Um, Just all around, man, you know, definitely part of that community. Uh, But what he meant to me was the history, man. Like he's, he's part of my appreciation for history. It was not a time that I go around my grandfather. He would not see her. Uh, some story with me that opened my eyes and actually made me see this world uh, for what it it truly is or or how far it's come. Um, One of the the funniest things that he ever told me was how he and his friends used to gather around the uh, transistor radio when it was introduced Hmm. and stand there and look at the radio because they could see the transistors on the inside and they were waiting for the people to poke their heads out from behind the transistors <laughs> because how, how are these voices coming out of this thing? But things like that, 
you know, he so openly shared. And, and I just, like you said, sat at his feet. I was a, a, a student, always a student, always trying to learn. But those are things I never would have thought of. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we take we take this uh, this phone and I know what came before it. Right. But I only go back so far. Right. I never think about what it was like to um, to see a radio come into the home for the first time. A, just a radio mm-hmm. <laughs> right mm-hmm. or what it was like to 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 meet someone who had indoor plumbing how does that work right you know for him asking these questions as a kid and then you know remembering these stories and educating me on things i i think a lot of that um those conversations shape the type of stories that i tell and the, the type of pictures that i try to paint because everybody doesn't know what i'm talking about i come from a different time Right. So, um, yeah, he was, a, he was an incredible guy. Um, a lot of pride, always had words to share, always had, you know, some, some time to educate, uh, if you were willing to listen, uh, some of the records in this collection back here from his collection, he, he gave them to me as <laughs> the only one in the family he thought would truly appreciate them. And he was right. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, he's, uh, sorely missed. Think about him often. Same with my grandmother. You know, she was another one. She knew everything about you guys in, in Parchester village. And she probably talked about you to me before. Probably. (laughs) Because that's just who she was. She was proud of everybody in the neighborhood. Uh, she knew everyone. She knew their, their children. She knew, uh, what jobs they had, what professions they went into. Um, she knew all the stories. She sat at her kitchen table or her dining room table, and she had that phone less than two inches away from her, and she answered it, and she got the she got the four one one on everything, and uh, and she kept us all informed. She was a she was a hub of that community. Yeah, it was uh, it was just nice um, um, running into you at the Sacramento Film Festival and just. In an instant, we just that connection. It's like, oh, you part. Ch- oh, okay, because yeah. you saw my, I saw our film, and we refer to Parchester in our film, and then we just had that conversation, man. And so, um, I just, just you know, thank you and your family, man, because they were they were so important as I was, uh, you know, becoming a man, and and you know, I had family, and just listening to Mister Hooper, and, and a lot of men like Mister Hooper, including my own right. father and others out there. Yeah. Um, you know, these men w- endured quite a bit just so that you did. and I can sit here and chop it up on this internet right now. So right. uh, we want to thank them for all the sacrifices and uh, that they went through just to to make a better life for all of us. So shout yeah. out to Mr. Virgil Hooper. Uh, yeah, good good no man. Doubt. Good man. So um, I did. I wanted to shout out. You, you talked about him being an entrepreneur and I mentioned the shoe repair shop, um, Hooper Shoe Repair. He also taught uh, inmates the the. Um, the um the craft of you know cop being a cobbler repairing shoes um trying to basically give them some type of uh skill that they can come out of prison and, and be able to apply in society to society in society in the society sorry but um another thing that he did is he, he created his own grill i don't know if you even knew that i i remember yeah he mentioned that did he he was patenting it or trying to get a patent for it is that he was trying to he did yeah. um get a uh, part patent it was yeah. a uh it had to do with the the exhaust on the grill right right it was something specific that that he came up with um but then he also had his own 
uh, herbs and seasonings. So hmm. uh, they were called right up. And um, yeah, he was, he was all over the place. Like he really, like he knew his barbecue was on point and he knew it was something that, <laughs> that he could sell and he really started working that. But the incredible thing to me is that he started working that later, way later in life. Right. It wasn't like he had been doing this since he was a young man. He was at a point where a lot of people were just slowing down and he was ramping up. Mm. Right. And so when you talk about uh, being an entrepreneur, when I talk about like learning this this uh, craft and this this game of selling my own music from like a two short. I think a big part of the drive that I have in me is seeing this uh, senior citizen moving faster than most youngsters to push his own product. Hmm. And, he's um, got my, and he's got my name and I'm like, okay, well, if he can do that, then I can step it up even more on my music. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, and he recognized that in me, uh, something that he truly appreciated was my hustle. How, you know, I didn't stop. I didn't rely on anyone to, to really do anything for me but I would make it happen. And somehow or another, I keep showing up with another album or another single or, or whatever it was. And um, yeah, he, he, he appreciated that. He appreciated that. Um, let me now fast forward to the present where we were uh, introduced at uh, the Sacramento film festival, which I mentioned, which happened uh, about two or three weeks ago. Right. And uh, congratulations. You were there. Uh, your, your video center of touring was screened and you actually took home the award for best uh, theme song at the Sacramento Film Festival this yeah. year. Uh, shout out to Martin Anaya and Vincent D. Miles for for all the things that they uh, helped us with getting our film and other films. And just it was a great festival. I've been to a few of these now, and this was a really strong festival. And I I am honored to have been a part of that festival uh, with all of such such great artists. Um, talk to me about your your film or your your video Center of Turin. You actually shot it in Italy. Uh, yes. Tell me about that process, the project, and and how you were able to go over there and actually shoot this beautiful video. So um, everything started in about two thousand. Thank you for calling it beautiful, man. I, I really beautifully shot, it. man. Just yeah, um, yeah. Um, it started about two thousand eighteen. I was in Sacramento in the Oak Park community uh, filming a music video called uh, "The New Neck," and for this video, I I needed some break dancers, um, and. I reached out to a friend of mine who I knew was part of a crew and I had no clue that there was an international B-boy festival or a competition going on in Sacramento that same weekend. So <clears throat> when I reached out to him, he said, Oh, I got a bunch of people I could bring. Right. But amongst that group were um, the gentlemen you see riding around with me in the BMW in the video. Um, Maurizio, the next one is what he's called. Uh, legendary b-boy part of the um, rocksteady crew um, he's from Turin, italy uh, he heard the music he really appreciated what he was hearing and he he asked me um, if i would come out to his city and work with him in the studio because hmm. he happened to be a producer as well right um also on that video shoot is the director of my current video uh, at the time, I didn't know her from anything but that video shoot. I knew she was a B-girl. I knew that she was dope. That's a bit. That's about it. And so um, later I found out she's a videographer. Um, so fast forward a bit. You know, I had been to uh, Turin a couple times and I wrote that song actually in Turin, uh, but I hadn't put it out 
until my most recent album, uh, The Passionate Scribblings of a Grammatic Architect. And when I put that album out, I did one video and I said, well, second video, I think I want it to be center of turn. So I reached out to Sarah Tamburo, who's the director, and I just asked her, hey, what do you think about doing this project? Um, once she signed on, it just grew from there, right? The team that worked on it, they're called uh, LMC Vision. Uh, they're based in Turin. The only thing that was missing was me. I just had to get on a plane and get over there, hmm. right? And so um, it was an incredible experience. They're all super professional, right? They all have a lot of incredible work under their belt. Um, and just working with me was different for them um, because what they see rap as from a distance, I didn't bring that. You know, I came, I brought a story. Um, I brought um, a real story, something that they could play out on screen, right? It wasn't necessarily all the jump cuts and the uh, the flashy things that they were used to seeing, <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, well, we know, what are we going to have in this? And and they worked it out. They figured it out. They got used to um, my approach to music and my approach to storytelling. And I felt like uh, and I feel like they really manifested um, my song, The Center of Tour, in the best possible way. Uh, I, I need to shout out uh, that crew once more, because not only did it win the uh, the best um, theme music or best music theme at the Sacramento International F- Music Festival. But just today I found out that it won the top prize at the Rome Music Video Festival. Congratulations. Um, thank you for uh, best music video. Um, it also won prizes at the Munich uh, Music Video Festival uh, for best hip hop music video, best female director, best european music video and best original song so it took those four prizes it came in second for best music video overall very proud of the team and and all the work that they did and uh you know this product that we have out there is it's doing well and if people want to see the video or get more information about your music uh work do you have a website where can they go they can go to mr hooper's music uh, dot com or anywhere on social media. I'm just at Mr. Hooper Raps. Um, you can go onto YouTube, type in Mr. Hooper Center of Turin. You'll be able to watch the the uh, music video. It just dropped last week. Um, yeah, I'm everywhere at Mr. Hooper Raps. Uh, Mr. Hooper's Music dot com. Awesome. Um, so as we get ready to wrap this up, my last question for you is with all of the success you're having now, all of the success you've had in the past, I mean, you're now an OG in the game. Um, what's next? Uh, where are those other, uh, mountains you want to climb or what, what inspires you to keep going almost 30 years into this? Well, there's still a lot of things that I haven't done. Um, there's a lot of things I haven't done here locally. There's a lot of things I haven't done internationally. That keeps me going. There's still a lot of stories that I want to tell. Uh, my rhyme book is full. Hmm. Like I got, I have things that um, I want to say, but you know, I'm all about timing. Uh, everything can't just come out just because I wrote it. You know, I, I don't mind sitting on things for a minute. Um, but more music, uh, you'll see more in terms of uh, big events. I need to get in more more festivals. I want to rock this uh, arena that we have here in Sacramento, I'm putting it out to the universe right now. There's no reason why golden one shouldn't have me there. I wrote 
two of the Sacramento anthems. And um, it just, it seems to me like a no brainer. So got to make that happen. Um, Just so much more, man. There's a lot of other artists that I want to work with, collaborate with. Um, There's artists that, you know, are are seeking uh, production from me. I want to make time to, to make sure that happens, but I have no plans to stop. Let me keep on going. Good, good. And uh, why don't you drop your social media and everything one more time before we close out? At Mr. Hooper Raps on everything, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I don't know. Whatever else is out there is all at Mr. Hooper Raps. Um, and then my website is mrhoopersmusic.com. Awesome. Well, the universe has a way of putting people together and putting them in spaces where they can connect. And I'm thankful for the universe for putting you and me uh, in that space in the Sacramento Film Festival where we just talked and hit it off. Uh, I'm proud of you, man. Um, I'm I'm proud to be um, uh, able to to speak to your grandfather, who was such a, an important man. Um, you're doing it, man. Internationally, you're taking hip hop to the world. And as you said, uh, you weren't what they expected. But obviously it was quality, right? <laughs> yeah, so. they're not they're not mad at all. <laughs> they're right not on. mad at all. I wish you could have been there at that first production meeting where they're just like, uh, you the what kind of car are we gonna have? And what, uh, you know, and I'm like, look, man, it's it's about the story. It's about the story, it's not about all of that flashes. It was fun, though. It was fun. You know, it, it was eye-opening for me, and and um I'm just I'm so pleased with everything that has transpired. Likewise, meeting you, um, I thought that was incredible. If I could just say one more thing, when they they showed the video at the Sacramento International Film Festival, they showed your film next. Right. That was so incredible to me. And I told you at the time because my dad was weighing so heavy on my mind going into that. You know, the type of story that I'm telling in this song is the type of story that he told me in 1985 would make an artist Mm -hmm. last forever. He was saying that specifically about LL Cool J when he put out I Need Love and I was hating on it so hard. He told me, you don't know music. This man will be around forever. I only write the type of stories like that I do, like the center of Turin, because of my father, Virgil Hooper, telling me Hmm. that is what the people need. So got to say that. And then for your, your movie to come up right after they premiere that video and right away mentioned Parchester Village. I'm not going to lie, man. It brought a tear to my eye, man. I, I just said, wow. If there's not something universally happening here to send me a message specifically that I'm on the right track, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we met, and I, I have a feeling, man, like this won't be the last time we talk. Not at all. I, I plan on staying in touch, man, and and, and building, so. Likewise. Likewise. I appreciate your time, man. I know you had a gig earlier today, so yes. thank you for coming on even after fulfilling your gig. Yeah. I appreciate it. Even down in your wind down time. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the Edric show today. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. This has been another edition of the Edric show. I am your host, Edric Jerome. My guest has been Mr. Hooper, award-winning rapper, international hip hop artist whose uh, uh, videos are winning awards, not just uh, in here in Sacramento, but also all over the world. I want to thank him for sharing his talent with the world. Uh, I also want to thank him for uh, connecting with me about his his grandfather, uh, Mr. Virgil Hooper. So thank you so much for that. Don't forget, this is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. You'll get notified whenever I post content. I want to thank you for tuning in, and I will catch you on the next episode.